Come on, church, who is excited to be in the house this weekend? Man, I am excited to be here and have the opportunity to share with you. And uh, you picked a great weekend to join us. We're kicking off our brand new series this weekend. Uh, it's a new teaching series called Pre-Game. And the ta- what is it? It's preparation, motivation, preparation, expectation. And it's kind of a little mini teaching series we're doing. We're actually in kind of a pre-game season as a church family. We are getting ready to launch into the fall season here at Potential Church. We got our Hope series. Every year we do a Hope series right around this time of year. And Pastor Troy and Steph are going to be back in the house. They're excited. They've been preparing for the fall. So we're kicking off Hope in a couple weeks. And I'm excited about that because I really believe that our world is in need of a little bit of hope. Amen. And I'm excited for, for the word that pastor is going to bring, how he's going to inspire us and challenge us to be that hope that our world is searching for. And after that, we're heading into fall kickoff, and we've got a very special theme this year for our fall kickoff series. We've got our Viva Women's Conference coming up in the fall. That's right, ladies in the house, it's going to be awesome. We've got uh, our potential college launching this fall. We've got Christmas kickoff. Man, we are excited for the fall ministry season. And, you know, our team has already been planning and praying and preparing for a couple of months now. And we're really believing that, uh, that God's going to do incredible things this fall. And, you know, the reason that we put so much emphasis on the fall ministry season here at Potential Church is because it is a season of, of potential growth. And uh, in years past, it's always been a season that uh, we've leveraged to propel this church into the next season of growth. And we're really praying, believing, and we're expecting that this next season is going to be our best season yet. Amen? So we are excited, and I'm excited that you have joined us as we kick off our pregame series. And uh, if you've been on the journey for a while with us, uh, we love you. We appreciate you. Thanks for being faithful. Thanks for be- being committed to the house. Those of you who, who have attended through summer, I know it, things get crazy during summer, but we're excited that, that you've been faithful and committed. For those of you who maybe have only been coming a couple of weeks, welcome back. We're excited to have you with us. And if this is your very first time at Potential Church, we welcome you. We are honored that you would hang out with us just for an hour. There's so many other places you could have chosen to be, but we're excited that you're here with us. And I want to give a shout out to all those uh, just behind that camera. We're not just one location here in Cooper City, but we've got a campus in Hallandale Beach. We love you guys. You guys up in Pensacola, Florida, we love you. Those in the Bahamas, those in Lima, Peru, those who are watching online from all around the world, we love you guys. You're just as much a part of the Potential Church family, and it is going to be a life-changing weekend. Hey, listen, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 24. And uh, I love this passage of Scripture so much. It, Paul's the author of First and Second Corinthians, and he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. We're going to pick it up in verse 24. It says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Somebody say run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Verse 26, so I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. 
I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. You know, I don't know where you're at this weekend. I don't know what what lap you're on in your race. Maybe some of us are on lap 12. Others of us maybe lap 25. Others of us lap 50, 85. I don't know what lap you're on this weekend. But what I do know is that there are some of us, and we've been wounded in the race. Maybe there are some of us here this weekend, and and we've gotten a little bit tired of running the race. Maybe there's some of us who who are ready to tap out. Maybe there are some of us who, who have fallen a little bit behind, and we've started comparing ourselves to those in the lanes next to us. But you know what? I do know this, that it's too soon to quit. It's too soon to give up. It's too soon to disqualify yourself from the race because you never know when the victory may be around the corner. And so today, I want to preach to you from this thought, the running man. The running man. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather in your house, God, and to be in your presence. Father, I pray over these next few minutes, God, that, that it would be your words that are heard, not mine, Father. You tell us in your word that that when your word goes out, it will not return void. So God, I pray that as your word goes out this weekend, may it do exactly what you have intended, intended, God. We love you. We praise you in this place. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for God. Hey, listen, I I have a question for those of you in the house this weekend, are there any, like, runners in the house? Those of you that like, actually like to run. Okay, you're raising your hands very slowly. Because you know the rest of us are silently judging you. I'm not a runner. I hate running. In fact, I believe there's no running allowed in heaven. <laughs> I believe there are signs, no running allowed. I hate running outside, on the treadmill. I don't, I'm, I'm not a runner. You know, I mean, I I like to lift weights, and, you know, I'll do the bike or the elliptical, but I hate running. And um, yesterday, I went to Orange Theory Fitness for the very first time with uh, my good friend, Khan. He's on staff here. He serves with our creative team. And we had an all-day planning meeting yesterday. And at the end of the meeting, I'm, I'm tired, I'm worn out, and I'm ready just to go home and, you know, work on my message and just kind of chill out. And he says to me, he says, hey, you know what, Tyler, why don't you join me uh, for a workout at Orange Theory? And I'm kind of like, oh, no, bro, I really got to go home and study through this message, man. I mean, I, I hate to get all spiritual on you, but, uh, but, 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 you know, I just really don't think it's a good idea. I mean, I got to be up early. And I just ca- start coming up with every excuse I can think of. And he literally says to me, all right, I'll pick you up at, four, at 430, all right? So I'm kind of in this thing. There's no way I can get out of it. So I finally give in. I'm like, all right, okay, sounds good. He picks me up. We head over to Orange Theory, and um, we, we take a class there, and how it kind of works is you start out, you know, if, have you ever been on, like, the row machine things where, like, you kind of, like, you're sitting there with your legs up, and you kind of pull yourself, and it works out, well, it's, I don't know what, it's supposed to work out the core and biceps and legs, I don't know what else. We started doing that, and then we kind of had, like, this, you know, routine. We'd do that. We'd do a certain amount of sets. Then we would go, and we would do, you know, the squats with the, with the, the, the weights, the dumbbells, and we would do that three, four times. That took up about half an hour, and you know what, for the most part, that was okay. I could keep up. I could handle it, and then it got time to get on the treadmill, 
and I was a little bit nervous, and there's three different options that they give you when you step on the treadmill. You can either be a power walker, a jogger, or a runner. The guy asked me, which one am I? I said, what do I look like? <laughs> I said, I'm a power walker. And then he's like, all right. So we get on there, we start power walking, and, you know, it's, it's done in different speeds, and then you'll, you know, you'll kind of power walk for, for three minutes and then jog for a couple minutes, and you kind of go back and forth. And can I tell you, it was miserable. I mean, I, I was sitting there the whole, th I was like watching the time the entire time. You know how you kind of just do? And then it, the, the longer you look at the time, the slower it seems to go. And can I, can I tell you, the worst part was the last three minutes. Because for the last three minutes, he said, okay, we're, we, got, we got three more minutes. We're going to crank this thing up full speed. We're going to put it on, you know, 10 to 15% incline. And I want you to give it everything you got. We're going to sprint it out. I'm thinking in my head, bro. I got nothing left to sprint out. Like, what do you think I've been doing for the past 25 minutes? Those three minutes were so harsh. But you know what? We finished it. We did our stretches. And um, you know what? Man, I felt so good, you know, after I could breathe again and uh, got some oxygen in my lungs. I felt so good. Listen, can I tell you, I'm still burning off the calories of what I worked off yesterday. And I'm going to continue to burn off those calories tomorrow and Monday and for the rest of the week. All right? But, man, I, I, I just, I... I, how many of you, you, you kind of keep up with, like, the Olympics? You know, the Olympics are happening over in Rio come this August. And, you know, when I watch some of those runners that compete in the Olympics, I just don't get it. Like, I don't even understand how God created somebody to, like, run that for that long. Like, I look at it in just, in, in just amazement. And um, I was actually, you know, thinking with the, you know, the Olympics coming up and, and you know, I've, haven't followed it too closely, but I was kind of, you know, doing some research, looking into it, and um, it was cool, actually, what we did for, for the USA team, there was a, um, a, a, tr a team trial marathon that took place February, uh, I think it was February 26th of this year, took place in Los Angeles, and what this was, was there was 168 men and 198 women that competed in this race, and the top six, the top three from the women's team and the top three from the men's team are the ones that will go and represent uh, the USA team uh, over in Rio come the Olympics. And uh, it's, it's actually really interesting. They said, I, I, I did some, some research, and I found out there was 168 men, 198 women that competed, but out of that, only 105 men and 149 women completed the race. They reported that the heat was so scorching, it was actually one of the hottest uh, conditions, some of the hottest and driest conditions in trials history. And so there was a lot of uh, competitors that had to drop out of the race. And um, even so, in less than two and a half hours, there were six Americans that earned the right to represent the USA team in Rio. And uh, the top overall, um, do you call it a scorer in running? The, over top, the overtop runner, winner, um, for both men and women, his name was Galen Roop. Galen, Galen Roop. And uh, he competed the marathon in two hours, 11 minutes, and 12 seconds. And the interesting thing is, as I was reading up on him, this was actually his very first marathon. And I want to read you this article that I read. And, and if you know who he is, you may have arguments or disagreements. I'm just going to read the article, what it says, and what they reported on him. It says this, it says, if there were ever any doubts about who is the best American distance runner at the moment, those doubts are long gone. 
Competing in his first ever marathon, Galen Roop delivered a controlled, dominant performance that saw him cruise to victory in two hours, 11 minutes, and 12 seconds. That's more than a minute ahead of runner-up Meb Kefliski. A few weeks ago, it was uncertain if the Olympic silver medalist and the U.S. 10,000-meter record holder would even compete in the trials. And even after his intentions to race became known, many thought that he, the experienced Kef, 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 whatever he's, how you say that name, Kef Lezicki, anybody know, I don't know who, the, do you know who that is, whatever, Kef Lezicki would still have the edge, but he didn't. Colorado native Tyler Pennell blew a crowded men's race open with a 447 17th mile, and Kef Lezicki and Roop were the only ones to go with him. Penal Sioux faded, and uh, we were treated to a duel between the eventual top two finishers. Though it was hardly a duel at all, Roop looked frighteningly comfortable, even as he turned on the Jets with four miles to go and left Kalivsky in the dust. You know, I was watching an interview with, uh, with this Galen Roop, and, and he talks a lot about what he did to prepare for that marathon. And he talks about that, that, that as a runner, you have to be prepared to pace yourself throughout the race in order to have the endurance to give it your all those last few miles and go out in an all-out sprint. And he said that as he was preparing for this marathon, what he would do is at the very end of his workouts, when he was tired, when he was sweaty, when he had given it all he had, he would do these short intervals of of 250s, 200s, and he would just do an all-out sprint to kind of get that same feeling that a runner would have in an actual race. You know, as I, I think about that, there's no person who has ever won the gold medal without having spent time training. And training requires discipline. You know, I like to define discipline as doing what you don't want to do in the present so that you have the freedom to do what you love to do in the future. See, if we have something to work towards, we have something to hope for. You know, growing up, I, uh, I played basketball when I was younger, and I loved the basketball games, but I hated the practice. Because see, at practice, you had to run all these drills, you had to do the suicides, you had to run the laps, you had to put out all this energy, do all this hard work, and at the end of the practice, there's nothing to show for it on the scoreboard. But see, it's how we practice that determines how the game is played. See, the teams that practice today win the game tomorrow. And so discipline is an important aspect of our lives. You know, just showing up to practice is not enough uh, to, to win the game. It's not just about showing up, but it's about training. It's about discipline. You know, my wife, she was a competitive cheerleader when she was uh, in high school, kind of growing up. It's kind of like every guy's fantasy, right? I dated and married the head cheerleader. And uh, she's actually still got the little uniform at home. She wears it for me sometimes. Uh, but anyway... Is that too far? It's too soon? It's too early? <laughs> anyway, so she was a competitive cheerleader, and she had this, this coach, and this was her coach's motto. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. See, what her coach was saying, listen, girls, it's not just enough to show up to practice. You have to practice over and over and over and over and over again until it's perfect. You have to train yourself with the discipline to be able to see your own mistakes and correct your mistakes. Man, I think there's great leadership wisdom just right there. 
You want the promotion, you know what you can do? You can be self-aware to train yourself, to discipline yourself, to recognize your mistakes or where you need to improve before your supervisor does. That'll get you the promotion right there. See, Paul says, he says, listen, we are all in a race. We need to discipline our bodies for this race. And he says, unlike, you know, the runners, we don't do it for an earthly reward. We're doing it for a heavenly reward. And listen, I, I don't know who you, who you are, where you're at in your life, but listen, God does have a purpose for your life. And if he didn't intend on you crossing that finish line, he would have pulled you from the race a long time ago. But you're still here. You're still in the race. You still have a beating heart. You still have breath in your lungs. There's still a race for you to run. So listen, it's too soon to quit. It's too soon to give up. It's too soon to disqualify yourself. The victory is on the other side. And for those of us that call ourselves Christ followers. Listen, we run our race so that those outside of these walls will be inspired to run their race so that we can be a living testament of our glorious God. Amen. And so listen, I, I want to share with us some keys to living a disciplined life. Are you ready? You got your pens? To live a disciplined life, we need the motivation to start the race. We need the preparation to run the race. And we need the expectation to finish the race. We need the motivation to start the race. You know what? Maybe there's some of us in here today and, and God's placed a dream in your heart. God's placed a nudge on your heart. And you've just yet to start that race. You've yet to, to follow him in that. Or maybe there's some of us here today, we just, we just need to start the race of life again. Maybe we've gotten too comfortable. Maybe we've gotten too complacent with where we're at. We need the motivation to start the race. We need the preparation to be able to run the race so that we don't get tired or weary. And we need the expectation in hopes of making it to the finish line and receiving the victory. But motivation begins with a desire. Motivation begins with a desire. You know, here's the deal. Until you have the desire to chase after that thing that God has placed on the inside of you, whether it be to start a business or start a family or move to that city, listen, until you have the desire, you're not going to. It starts with the desire. And, you know, the Bible talks about desires. In Psalm uh, 37, verse 4, David writes, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, you know, I've read this verse many times. I am a pastor's kid, so I grew up in Sunday school. And, and when you grow up in church, you hear this verse all the time. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And, you know, sometimes I, I think some of us look at this verse and think, oh, man, well, if I just go to church once a week and I, and I read my Bible every day for a week, there's going to be a new Rolls Royce waiting for me in my driveway. And it's going to be parked up there in Sunday morning. But as I've done more in-depth study on this passage of Scripture, that's not quite what David was speaking about in Psalm 37. But have you ever asked yourself that question, what does it mean to delight in the Lord? You know, I believe to take delight in the Lord means it, it happens when our hearts are at peace and fulfillment in Him and in pleasing Him. When our hearts are at peace, and when we have satisfaction in who God is and in pleasing him. And can I tell you, listen, when we make our prayers more about what we can do for God rather than what he can do for us, listen, it changes the atmosphere in our lives. 
See, that's what David's talking about in Psalm 37. When we begin to take delight in the Lord, when we have peace and satisfaction in him, when we get fulfillment in pleasing him, all of a sudden our desires start to become aligned with the heart of God. And all of a sudden his ways start to become our ways. And as his ways become our ways, and as his desires become our desires, all of a sudden that does something on the inside of us. All of a sudden that sparks some passion in us. That gives us the courage we need to move forward. All of a sudden we have strength that we never knew we have and it brings purpose to our pain when our desires align with the desires of God. And that's what David's speaking about. He's saying, listen, if we find fulfillment in pleasing God, he will give us the desires of our heart because his desires become our desires. You know, God desires for you and I to be the hope in a darkening world. How many of you know, come on, our, our world needs a little bit of hope. They need the hope of Jesus Christ. They need the hope that there is the love of a Savior. And God, I believe that he desires for us to be that hope, to be that light in the world. Because we live in a dark world where there's violence, where there's destruction, where there's crazy things going on. And you know what, listen, that's why we need to keep the motivation to stay in the race. There's some, there's some people out there, your words and your actions may be the only Bible they ever read. And listen, you may been, be in a bad chapter, but don't let one bad chapter misrepresent the entire book. That's why we need the motivation to, you know what, we, we, we got to run this race that God's called us to. We have to chase after those dreams. We have to follow that nudge. Because our world depends on it. Our world is watching how we walk through the fire. So you know what? We need to walk well. We need to walk upright. We need to walk with joy. We need to walk with security. We need to walk with confidence. We need to walk with peace. Listen, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that because I call myself a Christ follower, because even though I am messed up, I am screwed up, Christ has redeemed my life, I'm a firm believer that because I am a Christ follower, you know what, I have to walk in that. I have to act like that. I got to stay in this race. I got to be conscientious of my words, of my actions, because everything I do, I am a direct representation of who Christ is. You know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know, you may be in a season of your life where you don't know what the next step is. Maybe you're here today and, and you're just, you're, you're wondering, okay, what does God have in store for me next? What, what, what is it that God wants me to do with my life? What's the purpose that I have here on this earth? And listen, I would just encourage you, imitate Christ. Imitate Christ. Don't worry about how you're going to get there. Imitate Christ. Don't worry about the resources that you're going to need. Imitate Christ. Don't worry about the connections or the people that you need to know. Imitate Christ. And as we imitate Christ, when others show us hostility, we extend kindness. When our circumstances scream chaos, we maintain peace. When our enemies speak words of defeat, we speak words of grace and forgiveness. When it seems like our career just won't take off, we remain diligent and steadfast. When our marriage seems to be falling apart, we remain faithful. And as we imitate Christ, as we imitate the character of who Christ is, that's when the path begins to unfold. 
and we see it clearly. And when we understand that no matter what line of work we're in, no matter what season of life we're in, when we understand that our purpose is in imitating Christ, it changes the way that we operate. You know, I love what it says in Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. See, notice Paul says, whatever you do. He doesn't say when you get your dream job, work wholeheartedly. When you become the CEO, work wholeheartedly. When you become the manager, work with all your heart. He doesn't say once you've earned it, work with all your heart. No, whatever you do, whether you're living your dream as the CEO or you're the barista at Starbucks, work wholeheartedly. Listen, as Christ followers, we should be the hardest working people in this world. Because we are a direct representation of the character of Christ. Work wholeheartedly. Work with everything that we've got. You say, well, man, I, my job just doesn't motivate me. It's just not fun. My boss doesn't motivate me. No, we got to motivate ourselves. Because you know what? The eternity of our coworkers, our boss, our employees, it may depend on it. We work wholeheartedly. You know, I think sometimes that, you know, the church gets a, a bad reputation. And I think it's sad because, you know, there are people out there that think the church is hypocritical. And, and I really believe that sometimes people think the church is hypocritical or God is hypocritical because they've observed the action, words, and behavior of hypocritical Christ followers. Listen, we can't afford to just be Sunday morning Christians or Saturday night Christians. We got to be the Monday Christians as well. You know, if, if your timeline on Instagram is anything like mine, it is filled with all kinds of memes come Monday morning, right? The weekend is over, it's time to get back to work, and you see all the different memes about how miserable people are and how much coffee they need just to get through the day. But listen, if we call ourselves Christ followers, if we really want to discipline ourselves to run the race that God has marked out for us, we should be excited to get up on Monday morning and represent Christ where it is that we work. We should be excited to be an example to those that surround us. Listen, because I call myself a Christ follower, I know that this life is not about me. It's not about me, it's about those who surround me. God wants us to enjoy our lives, but he does not want us to be the center of our lives. Our lives should be lived outwardly, influencing and impacting those around us. So listen, be motivated today. Be motivated. Be motivated by the desires of God. And listen, when we delight in the Lord, when we find our wholeness in him, not in our career, not in our spouse, not in our kids. When we find our wholeness in him, listen, that's when he begins to change the desires in our heart. Motivation begins with the desire. Preparation begins with the decision. Preparation begins with a decision. We don't train and prepare based on emotion. We train and prepare based on the expectation of getting the victory. You know, I love what, what Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8 say. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, no overseer or ruler, she provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. See, the ant gathers food in the harvest to prepare for the winter when the harvest is no longer there. The ant recognizes 
that the harvest can either be wasted now or it can be preserved for the future. And you know, in life, there are seasons of harvest where things are going great, when God's pouring out the blessing, when the family's doing good, the marriage is great, there's the promotion at work, we bought a new home, a new car. There are seasons of life where we have the harvest and there are seasons of life of famine. When it feels like we're lacking something, when it feels like we're going without, when we just feel dry on the inside. And I think sometimes we love to indulge in the harvest but never prepare for the famine. You know, something I I got with me, I, I take it almost every place I go. I got my favorite Bible here this weekend. This is my favorite Bible. It's a nice leather Bible. It's got my name right at the bottom and this is actually the Bible I received when I was ordained back in 2014. It's got a note from, from my parents inside. I love this Bible. It's got some, some bent pages, some ripped changes, ch- pages. It's marked up a lot. But, man, you will find me with this Bible whether I'm at work, whether I'm on vacation, whether I'm at my house. I have this Bible with me at all times because you know what? This is my preparation. This is my training ground. This is my training ground for when the famine occurs in my life. You know, it was back a couple years ago, back in 2007, my, uh, my dad started uh, experiencing some heart problems. And uh, he was actually rushed to, to the ER. I was in middle school at the time. And when he got to the ER, they told him that, um, that one of his arteries was 100% blocked and the other two were 90% blocked. And they said, it's a great thing that you came in when you did, because had you not, your heart wouldn't have stopped. It would have exploded in your chest. And that started several months of my dad being in and out of the hospital. And uh, it was a hectic time for our family. We didn't know what was going on. The doctors didn't know what was going on. He had to have several surgeries, had to have stents put into his heart. Uh, there, there was a period of time where, where we really didn't know uh, what was going to happen. We didn't know if he was going to pull through it. And there were times when I would go to school and I wouldn't know if my mom was going to pick me up at the end of the day or if a friend was going to pick me up because I had to spend the night at a friend's house because my dad was back in the hospital and my mom was by his bedside. But you know what? Can I tell you what got our family through that season? This is the word of God. Listen, we, we stand on the word of God. You know what got my family through? Psalm 118, for I shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than I could ever hope for, dream of, or imagine. John 3.16, for those who believe in him will not perish, but they will have eternal life. And I could go on and on and on in the verses that we would repeat out loud as a family. The prayers where we would declare God's promises, where we would declare God's faithfulness. Listen, you got to inscribe the word of God on your heart in the triumphant seasons so that it can be your shield in the challenging seasons. You know, pastor has shared the story from stage before uh, during one of those hospital visits where they were running tests. They were trying to figure out what was going on with his heart. And, um, and it was a scary time. And during one of those hospital visits, he tells a story. My mom was there with him, and she was in the waiting room. How many of you know the waiting room is the worst place to ever be? Because what are you waiting on? A report. Some of us have been there. You've waited in the waiting room as you or maybe a loved one, waiting to see if, if the report came back good or, or if it came back bad. And, man, can I tell you, it's in the waiting seasons of life that the enemy seems to whisper the loudest. And in that waiting room, my mom was there, and she uh, noticed that there was another woman in the waiting room. 
who was over in the corner, and she was distressed, she was emotional, she was crying, and, and my mom felt it in her heart to go over to this woman, and she asked the woman, hey, I, I noticed that you're, you seem to be going through a hard time, is there anything I can do for you? And this woman began to talk to my mom about her hus- how her husband was in heart surgery, and they didn't know what was going to happen. You know what my mom did? She stayed there, and she ministered to her, and she encouraged her, and she loved on her, she prayed for her, but listen, it's because she already had the word of God inscribed on her heart. She wasn't worried about what's going to happen to my dad because she stood firm on the promises of God so she could minister to this woman and she could tell her, hey, listen, your husband's going to pull through this. Hey, you can trust in God. Let me pray for you. Let me love on you. Listen, the word of God is our training ground. It's how we train ourselves for battle. It's how we prepare ourselves in the harvest so that when the famine comes, we already have it inscribed on our heart. And it's gotten me through some of the most challenging seasons of my life. I love what John 9, 4 says. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. We train in the day. We prepare in the light so that when darkness falls, we have the perseverance to win the race. We train in the day. So that God can bring it out in the night. We sow during the day so that God can grow it in the night. And listen, when we are intentional about preparing ourselves for the race that God has marked out for us. Listen, it starts with our decision. Our decision to allow every obstacle, to allow every setback, to allow every time we think we're about to cross the finish line and it seems just out of reach, to allow those circumstances to prepare us for what God has destined for us. And listen, I really believe that if we can't be satisfied, happy, and productive where God is preparing us, then we'll never make it to where God has destined us. Preparation begins with a decision. And lastly, expectation begins with a declaration. You know, I believe in life. You can expect what you declare. You can expect what you declare. If you declare defeat, you're going to get defeat. But if you declare victory, you're going to walk in victory. The word of God says that the power of life and death lies in our tongue. That means our words have power. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 10. I want to read you a story. It says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does the law not say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It's not for the oxen that God is concerned. He is speaking for our sake. It was written for our sake. Because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Listen, if you prepare for the harvest, you can expect to share in the harvest. If we prepare for the race that God has marked out for us, listen, we can't expect to just sit on the sidelines in life and just wait for for blessing to fall down on us. We got to start stretching. We got to start getting pumped. We got to start getting expectant and start declaring, you know what, I'm going to run this race. I'm going to go after what it is that God has called me to. I will not grow tired. I will not go weary. I will discipline myself. I will prepare myself. I will walk in truth. I will discipline myself and on the word of God. Listen, when we do that, when we declare those things, 
when we become expectant, it changes things. You know, you may be in a season right now where you're sowing, but you've yet to reap. Listen, I can, I know how frustrating that can be. To be in a season where you feel like you're working hard, you're preparing, and you're being diligent, and you're trying to be steadfast, and you're trying to keep a good attitude, and it just seems like things are just not lining up the way you want them to. I'm an impatient person, so I don't like to wait for, for things. I'm the kind of person, every problem I have needs to be solved before I go to bed. And God's teaching me, that's not life. That's not how we solve our problems. Listen, if you're in a season right now of sowing, listen, you keep sowing. You keep sowing, even if nobody gives you the recognition or the accolades, keep sowing. Even if, if it's not appreciated, even if it comes with hostility, keep sowing. Even if it seems impossible, keep sowing. Even if everyone else is telling you to give up, you keep sowing. You keep running your race. You stay diligent. You stay steadfast, and you will see the promise of God come to pass. I can say that confidently. good and we can share in the harvest but we have to prepare for it you know Hebrews chapter 12 is it's such an encouraging passage of scripture to me and if you've never read Hebrews all of Hebrews chapter 12 I encourage you to do so but I want to share just verses 1 through 3 in Hebrews chapter 12 it says therefore since we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. How do we stay in the race? How do we keep moving forward? We keep our eyes on Jesus. We don't look to the right or the left. We don't watch the other runners and see how they're gaining speed, how they're moving ahead. No, we keep our eyes on Jesus. He says that he is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. You know, I just, I want to encourage those of us today who have walked in here maybe carrying some weights. And maybe those weights are slowing you down in the race that God has marked out for you. I don't know what your weight is. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a lack of commitment to what God's called you to. Maybe it's a lack of commitment to the house of God. I don't know what weight it is that you are carrying around with you, but I just believe that, you know what, today's a great day to drop off some of those weights and to get back in the race and to stay the course that God has marked out for us. Listen, you are not the loser, you're the winner. You are not the victim, you're the victor. And oh, listen, the enemy may have tried to knock you down a few times, but you can confidently, with great expectation, look at the enemy and you can sound out the words of Micah 7, 8, where he says, do not gloat over me, my enemy. Don't think that just because you won this battle, you're going to win the war. Don't think that just because you knocked me down, don't you think I'm going to stay there. Don't you think that I'm going to give in. No, I will rise again. I will stand again. 
I will smile again. I will be joyful again. I will rejoice again because my God, even though I am in darkness, my God is still my light that paves the way. He is still my redeemer. He is still my healer. And because of the price that he paid, because he died for my sin and as my sin, I will run again. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to give him a shout of praise. We're going to worship. Come